Locked On NBA, the biggest stories, the local experts. Every Monday, we dig into the biggest stories in the NBA with the Locked On Podcast Network hosts. Today, we speak with Adam Stanko of Rejecting the Screen about the anniversary of Kobe Bryant's death. We speak to Wes Goldberg of Locked On Warriors about Golden State's recent struggles and the play of rookie center James Wiseman. And lastly, we go to Utah to speak with David Locke of Locked On Jazz about the Jazz steamrolling opponents. It's all coming up. The biggest stories with the local experts on Locked On NBA. You are Locked On NBA, your daily NBA podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hi guys and welcome back to another week of Locked On NBA. I am your Monday host, Josh Lloyd. I'm also the host of the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast and I'm the lead analyst at BasketballMonster.com and at Yahoo Sports Australia. Of course, a massive week in the NBA this week with the anniversary of Kobe Bryant's passing. We'll talk to Adam Stanko about that and some big news across some Western Conference teams as well. So let's get to it. Before we get to it, today's episode is brought to you by Built Bar. Go to BuiltBar.com and use the promo code LOCKEDON and you'll get 20% off your next order. Now let's bring in one of the hosts of the Rejecting the Screen podcast right here on the Locked On Podcast Network. Adam Stanko is here. Adam, we are really close, like a day away, might be even today when you people are listening to this, to the anniversary of Kobe Bryant's death uh, one year ago, obviously a, yeah, a shocking time in the world and in the NBA. Um, do you remember exactly where you were when you, uh, when you heard that? Because it's something that will burn forever in my memory when I uh, found that out. Yeah, uh, I was sitting on my couch next to my wife and I saw a tweet come through and I said, this, this can't be true. Like, I don't understand the hoax someone is, is playing here. And then I started to see more and I started texting people that I knew around, around the league and, and who knew about Kobe or other stories. And all of a sudden I was getting it confirmed and, and we were just all had the similar reaction. If they hadn't heard they were in utter shock. And if they had heard, they were also in shock. And it was just this feeling of numbness. And for me personally, and, and Noah Kozlov, my, my co-host, we, we've bonded over Kobe. We were both at a, a district semifinal game uh, in, in the 90s in which Kobe and Rip Hamilton were going at it. And then years later, of course, they're the best players on their you know, NBA teams in the finals. But, but they had played against each other in high school and there was that rivalry. And there was just you know, so many memories about, about Kobe, um, that came up and came to the surface. And, and so, yeah, it was just, uh, obviously such a sad, tragic day. And, you know, we're, we're all reliving it again now, a year later. Yeah, I was, um, yeah, because the normally the Australian Open tennis tournament is on at this time of year. So I'd gone and you know, gotten tickets to the tennis, and you were, we were spending a weekend at a hotel in the city because I, I live in Melbourne where the Australian Open is. And we went in there. We'd been to the tennis the day before, and I had to wake up super early. I was a Monday morning here, so I could get back and and, and get to work and you know, do all my stuff for the NBA. And then it was doing what I do every morning and browsing Twitter and seeing this stuff happen. It was like well, seven seven thirty a.m. or something like that. I had no way. So I had to get you know, get home and try and you know, gather my thoughts as I was driving through the city to, to figure out what was actually going on. It was it was a pretty surreal day, and it's something that obviously you know, I and everyone else involved in the NBA will, will never forget. I guess the the emotions or or the, uh, the just actually what happened on that day and trying to piece it all together. Now, Adam, in terms of the anniversary of Kobe's death, you and uh, Noah Kozlov on rejecting the screen have got a couple of special episodes coming this week. Uh, Kobe stories. Just give us a brief sort of overview of of what people can expect with these uh, with these podcasts coming out this week. 
Well, even before Kobe passed away, we've always been fascinating. Certainly I have, I mean, Noah voiced Kobe's 81 point game. We, we, for the official NBA highlight, we, we all always had been fascinated by the Kobe workout stories. Um, just the, the kind of competitor he was, the, the, how intimidating he was. So we've often asked our guests just about Kobe, if they played against him in that era, what that was like, any of his workout stories that they had. And so just a couple months ago, I had the thought, oh, you know what? What if we put all these stories together? Because then after he had passed away, it was asking guests, you know, Earl Watson and Robert Sacre and, and guys like that, Adam Morrison, like, hey, what are your recollections? What are your memories? And they all these unbelievable stories and, and things that I had never heard before about Kobe's life and about him as a competitor and about him as a person. And so we just started compiling it all. And uh, we've come up with these 16 different people that we've interviewed and just hearing these stories of Kobe working out with the Sixers uh, when he was in high school and, and playing against guys like Rex Walters and, and Jerry Stackhouse or uh, when he was 12 years old, Mark Jackson, not the point guard, but the former center from from Temple who played for a while in the NBA. Mark Jackson played against Kobe. And after they had a workout, Kobe was icing both knees. And Mark Jackson said, why are you doing that? And Kobe said, because I'm going to play a long time. Mark Jackson's like, you're 12 years old. What do you mean you're going to play a long time? But just this idea that he was just different and special. And so we really tried to encapsulate that and put that into the podcast so that other people can hear it. All of these stories that touched us and really told us a lot about who Kobe was as a person and as a competitor, you know, we had the chance to put out in, in podcast form. So we're really excited about that. And Doug Branson, who does a lot of work for Locked On, uh, he did the the sound engineering for it and did a wonderful job. So it's really a special two-part podcast we're excited about putting out there. So you got the two shows coming out this week. First one out on Tuesday, Adam? Yes. So yes. you can you can find that, yeah, obviously rejecting the screen wherever you find your podcast. What's your favorite singular story on those two shows? Oh, man. Uh, I will say my, my favorite has to be Adam Morrison, who is Kobe's teammate, talks a lot about how Kobe took him under his wing and looked out for him when he didn't have to. And, and Adam was really emotional when we spoke to him. And he told a story that after Adam was done playing, he was really going through a tough period in his, in his life. He was, he was really depressed and he was down and he just finished up playing a couple of years, year or two prior. And he, uh, someone connected with the Lakers reached out and, and Adam and Kobe had a relationship because of how hard Adam played and, and someone connected with the Lakers. I forget what I th think it was a trainer, uh, but he reached out to Adam and said, Hey, you know, I need your address. So Adam thought that the trainer was going to send him something from the trainer. Well, Adam ends up getting in, in the mail assigned Didier Drogba Jersey and Adam's favorite football club, favorite football team, uh, his favorite player. So he, he was all excited to get this and it was signed and it was from Kobe and it, and it said to Adam, best wishes, Didier Drogba. And, and Adam thought, what a wonderful thing. Kobe went out of his way, made a phone call and got me a signed Jersey from my favorite player because he knew I'm not, not in a great place right now. Well, after, after uh, Kobe's death, you know, as we all were following along on different social media platforms and all that. Adam was scrolling, I think, through Instagram and came across the Chelsea Football Club's Instagram account. And there was a picture of the, of Kobe Bryant with Drogba holding up a jersey. And it said, 
you know, to Adam, best wishes, Didier Drogba. And, and Adam realized at that moment, Kobe didn't just make a phone call. It was when he happened to meet Drogba. First thing he thought to do was, hey, man, you're you're one of my friend's favorite players, and he's going through a real hard time right now. Do you mind, you know, signing this jersey for him? And he did. Never told Adam that that was the case. He just had the trainer send it because he knew that it, it would mean something to him and never told him that's how he got it or that's what he did. And Adam didn't find out till after Kobe's death. So I think that story really told me a lot about kind of person Kobe was later in life and and how he was looking out for teammates and cared about others. And I, I thought that really, really said a lot. Yeah, you hear a lot about those stories of Kobe doing things and you're not you're not hearing the the effort that he goes to or, or trying to keep that stuff in not not doing it because of himself and not um you know not advertising what he's doing and not doing it for um, you know, clout, so to speak. And, and you hear a few of those things coming out. So that's an awesome story uh, to hear about Adam Morrison and, of course, uh, his interactions with Kobe. Adam, you and Noah on Rejecting the Screen this week. They're going to be must-listen-to episodes. People, you can find them wherever you find uh, find your podcast. Go and download them. Go and subscribe. Uh, Adam and Noah have tons of excellent episodes, but these ones are going to be super special. Adam, thanks for coming on Locked on NBA with me. Thanks so much, Josh. Really, really appreciate you having me on. Built Bar is back. The best tasting protein bar ever has returned, and it's back with six new flavors. Caramel brownie, cookies and cream, cherry barcia, lemon almond cheesecake, carrot cake, and apple almond crisp. They join the original 12 flavors on the roster. Raspberry, peanut butter, banana bread. You know those 12 flavors. Built Bar, it just tastes like a candy bar. It is not like your standard dirt-flavored protein bar that you'd find. This is one that tastes like you're having an indulgent treat, but in fact, you're looking after your body. These bars are covered in 100% chocolate. They're soft and easy to chew, and they're great when you're looking to lose or maintain your current weight. They're low-calorie, low-sugar, high-protein, and high-fiber, and great for a keto diet. The new Cherry Barcia bar has 17 grams of protein, 130 calories, 4 grams of sugar, and only 4 grams of net carbs. So go to BuiltBar.com, use the promo code LOCKEDON, and you'll get 20% off your next order. The promo code is LOCKEDON for 20% off at BuiltBar.com. Get more of the sports news you need in less time with our new Locked On Today podcast. Peter Bukowski hosts Locked On Today, a daily podcast breaking down the biggest stories with analysis from our local experts. Start your day with all the sports news you need in under 20 minutes. Subscribe to Locked On Today wherever you get podcasts. Now I'm joined by the host of the Locked On Warriors podcast, Wes Goldberg, is here with me. Wes, Golden State, uh, last two games haven't been particularly pretty, losing to the Knicks and to the Jazz, both by at least 15 points. Uh, we've had a reversion, I guess, from Kelly Oubre, who's started to struggle once again. He had that little little uh, bump up in his play. Um, and things aren't going particularly well with lots of talk from Steph and from Steve Kerr at the end of the game about perhaps looking at uh, the starting lineup and the way that they're... I'd say not working together, or it's—I don't know what it is—but that starting lineup has been has been rough. What what do you think the problem is with that that group, and how do you think the Warriors will go about remedying it? I guess no, not to be overly harsh on a 19-year-old, right? But the problem is James Wiseman. Um, if you take that starting lineup for what it is, and you you swap out James Wiseman for Kevon Looney, an experienced center who knows knows how to read opposing offenses, um, it was just not spectacular, but solid all around, right? Um, that that starting lineup goes from with James Wiseman has been outscored by 74 points total this year to a starting lineup that's or, or to a lineup that is outscoring opponents by 20 plus points 
um, in, in a small sample size, but it makes sense. So look, they're, they're trying to sort of get Wiseman. They understand that Wiseman has a steep learning curve, but they're trying to have Wiseman develop alongside Steph and Draymond as much as possible. But in doing that, you're sacrificing some stuff about uh, just some immediate success. You're, you're, you're sacrificing wins right now. And the Warriors now are 8-8. Eight and eight. They're 500, right? Um, you could, you could kind of sacrifice that win now stuff when you have a little bit of a cushion like they built up. They were at 1.2 games over 500. They're not that anymore. And that's why you hear Steph and Steve Kerr after the game talk about, hey, maybe we should make some changes. Um, it, 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 it's, when you just look at the metrics, Josh, it's pretty clear that, that the problem is, is the fact that you've got a guy who has very little NBA experience trying to get up to speed. And, and what ends up happening is that this team digs themselves in, in, into an early hole. And it's just really hard to, to every single night to try to dig out of that early hole. Do you think the Warriors made a mistake by saying straight away he's our starter without the benefit of you know, rookie camp, summer league, training camp, preseason for a guy that played three games. They said, well, well, he's our starter. And now I guess you have that problem with now if you do move him to the bench, um, right. that yeah, the, the confidence can be a hit. The fan base might be like, why do we take this guy? Look, you got to develop him, all that sort of stuff. Where if they had gone maybe the route the Hornets are with LaMelo Ball or even the Timberwolves are with Anthony Edwards, not that he's playing particularly well, but yeah, they're on the bench and they, they push through to that starting job when they're ready, where it is clear that Wiseman isn't ready for these minutes at all. Even the 24, 25 he's got in the last couple of games, like he's not he's not ready for that amount of minutes. And yeah, I guess that's a... a a tough juggling decision that they've got to make. Do, do you think they, I think it's almost, almost, you know, arguable they would have been better off not starting him to begin the season. You're absolutely right. And, and look, you look at a guy like Lamella who played an entire professional season of basketball, a guy like Anthony Edwards who had an extreme usage rating at Georgia. And they're, they're not even starting right now versus James Wiseman who played three games at Memphis and is now start uh, and and there's 13 months in between his last game in Memphis and his first game in Golden State and he's starting. I think it's very clear that it was a mistake to start James Wiseman right away, but I will say this. Had Kevon Looney and when he was healthy, Marquise Chris come out in the preseason and played really well and and earned that starting job, James Wiseman would not have been the starter day one. He just wouldn't have been and they, can, they could say that they wanted James Wiseman to get out there and they love his upside and all these things all they want. The fact remains, had Kevon Looney been playing the way he is now in the preseason, he would have been the opening day starter. I can guarantee you that. And, and, but he wasn't. He struggled in the preseason. I don't, for whatever reason, maybe it was just, look, this team was rusty. They didn't get to go to the bubble. All these things. They had a lot of time off. I mean, whatever the reason was, Kevon Looney didn't look good in the preseason. Neither did Marquise Crest's. But Marky, but but uh, Kevon Looney's playing really well right now. He's got a timing and a chemistry with Steph. He's got he knows what it is to to execute a game plan at the highest level. We re- we remember what it is that Kevon Looney did in the playoffs. He was really good for them uh, in 2019. So look, I, I I I don't know that the Warriors, quite frankly, knew that Kevon Looney would be playing this well alongside those other starters. Uh, and and I think you you hit the nail on the head there. What do you do with a 19-year-old and his confidence? And a guy who, quite frankly, in Wiseman, I apologize for the ambient noise here. 
a guy who, quite frankly, and James Wiseman has been really hard on himself. And and you worry about that, right? When you when you, when you have a rookie with shaky confidence, what do you do with that? Can you really bench him in this sort of moment before it's even twenty games into the season? It's a really hard question that they need to ask. But I do believe that they need to take the long view on this. They're probably better off benching Wiseman. You look at a guy like you look at some of the modern centers. And the lead, I think about a guy like Bam Adebayo, right? Who, if everything goes right, the Warriors could get a, 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 a next generation again. There's a train going by. Uh, <laughs> they could get a next generation type center in James Wiseman the way that he'd have with Bam, right? Bam didn't start for two years. He barely played for two years. You need to take, I think, a slow process with big men. It's so hard to specifically defend at the NBA level at that position. That I don't think it would be. I don't think it would be completely detrimental, even if there's some short-term uh, fallout by benching Wiseman. I think long-term it would be beneficial. Let him bring. Let come. Let him come off the bench, man. Let him figure out what it is to play defense at an NBA level. Let him figure out what it is to learn the timing of the NBA game, the speed of the NBA game, and do it against opposing bench players, not against opposing starters, and not without the pressure of trying to win games in the starting lineup. No. Just let's let Kevon Looney start. He's proven the ability to do it. He's able to do it. The chemistry and the timing and everything is already there with the other fellow starters. I, I think they need to sort of make that move now. I tell you, the other thing about it is, is we can talk about you know benching a rookie and losing confidence. Look, James Wiseman's not stupid. Like he knows that he's struggling. Like he's not out there going, right. "Man, I'm killing it. I'm doing so well." Yeah, and then they come and go, "Look, James, you're not, not actually playing that well. You're going to come off the bench." He's not going to be surprised. Like he's going to be understanding these struggles. And while it might be a hit to the confidence, maybe it's actually a boost to the confidence because he doesn't have that pressure of like, "Oh my god, I am dragging down these Hall of Fame players. I am creating these issues for Steph and for Draymond, and they're going to get pissed." And maybe it's better if he can come out, play his 15 minutes off the bench. In that whatever role it is, they're coming in there, having the ball in his hands a little bit more and not having to deal with some of those issues. And maybe that actually works in his favor because he's not stupid. He knows that there are struggles going on. He knows he's got a ton to learn. And yeah, he's probably out there. You know, Things are swimming around his head going, where do I need to be? What do I need to do? Do I need to let... Draymond's going to yell at me. Uh, not in a, in a bad way, but like I'm going to let these guys down. He needs to be able to work through that in, in his own pace. And maybe that is better. And I can see a, a scenario where he understands that as well. And it doesn't create any sort of issue. Last thing for you, Wes, before you go... Um, is there any hope for Cali Ubre? Because, uh, look, this guy struggled when he was with Washington, turned things around in Phoenix, um, and is probably playing the worst basketball of his career now. Like, he just cannot hit a shot. Is it just, we talk about confidence, is it just is this just a confidence thing, or is he just not fitting with the, the offense that Steve Kerr runs? Like, what is going on? I, it's the latter. It's He just doesn't fit. I mean, the way that uh, Kelly Ubre plays, it's very much... Um, sort of, hey, I get the ball and I score kind of deal. He's not used to playing in a ball movement heavy system the way that the Warriors run, right? And specifically, and I've said this over the, on, on my podcast, Locked on Warriors, Steph Curry makes everybody around him better, but he's hard to play with. And that's not a, that's not a slight against Steph, right? It's just that he plays in a way that is so unlike what these guys have played, not only in their NBA careers, but in college, in high school, in AAU, Steph, the way that he is such a dominant player, but he's so dominant off the ball, right? He does so much of his work off the ball, and he is so dominant in that way. But you have to be aware. If you're an offensive player, you have to react to Steph when he's off the ball as if he has, as if he has the ball. And that's new for a lot of players, right? Because they're used to, you know, you have to basically react to a player who is off the ball and then, of course, a player who is working with the ball, which in many uh, cases for the Warriors is Draymond Green. 
who is very patient with the ball in his hands. So for Kelly Oubre, it's just it's a lot, I think, to process. It's a lot to take in. Um, and, and he's 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 learning that. And and he's, I guess, I suppose, a little bit slower to figure that out on the uptick than a guy like, say, Andrew Wiggins or Damian Lee or even Kent Bazemore. These guys who tend to play well alongside Steph already, Uber's just having a hard time with it. And and you'd like to say that, hey, you can you can have the patient approach with them and all these things and and maybe he'll figure it out. But dude's on an expiring deal, right? Like that's this is it. It's kind of make or break for him. Not just for the Warriors, but how he performs right now in this season will determine what kind of contract he gets this this upcoming summer. And so there's a lot of urgency, I think, on Ubre's part for and that that probably provides pressure, right? And so uh, you've got all these things sort of coalescing in, in, into pressure to not only perform right now for a team that wants to make the playoffs and, and trying to perform next to Steph, but also pressure to try to you know earn your next contract, which is, which is a reasonable thing to have pressure about. Um, and so uh, it's tough. It's tough when you have all of that. And, man, that three ball just can't get going. Uh, but I'll say this about Kelly Oubre. He is producing. He's getting steals. He's still scoring like 12 points per game most of the time. He's getting rebounds, offensive putbacks, all these things. He's figuring out ways to contribute. He's figuring out ways to bring energy. I think I think he's still a net positive to this team on the defensive end. But they would really like for him to score to shoot at least at a career average, which is about 33, 34% for his career from three-point range. If you can get up to that, then that solves a lot of uh, his and the Warriors' problems. Wes, it's been awesome to talk to you. And guys can check out Wes's thoughts on the Golden State Warriors on Locked On Warriors. Thanks for coming on Locked On NBA with me. Anytime. Thanks, Josh. By the time you're listening to this, we're going to know who is in the Super Bowl for this year. And if you want to put your sporting knowledge to the test, there's only one place that has you covered and one place that we trust, betonline.ag. Sign up today with a free account at betonline.ag and use the promo code Locked On, and you can get a 50% welcome bonus. But it's not just the NFL. You can place bets on the NBA, futures, games, spreads, totals, player props as well. Don't sit on the sidelines anymore. Get in on the action. And don't forget to use that promo code locked on to receive a 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. Now, let's bring in the host of the Locked On Jazz podcast, of course, the founder of the Locked On Podcast Network as well, David Locke, the Utah Jazz are absolutely rolling at the moment. They are just beating teams senseless. Pretty much every game, they have won eight consecutive games, and only one of those games has been by fewer than 10 points. Um, Things were a little bit rocky after that back-to-back in New York, and then uh, they just put the foot down and said, no, we're not having this. What changed? Yeah, I didn't think after they lost back-to-back games to the Nets without uh, some of their guys and then to the Austin Rivers show that they were on the verge of an eight game win streak. I, I don't know what's wrong with me. Um, you know, one person with the team after the Milwaukee game said to me, well, that'll show the guys how they're supposed to play. And I think they might have learned that. I mean, they're doing some really interesting things, Josh, that they're playing much more similarly to the to the Warriors in their heyday or their or the rockets in the kind of vintage rockets era if you want to take a uh, uh, kind of a look they've hit 23 point shots in four of their last six and in five of their last eight games 20 yeah this is now, a, this isn't a team that you you would have expected that for, from me yeah, a couple of years ago right let me put this in perspective 
No team in the history of the NBA has ever hit 23s in three straight games. It's never been done. So no one's ever done it in three straight games, which means that like the fact that the Jazz have done three out of four twice this year already is the most anyone's ever done in the history of the league. And, and now, so, go ahead. You want another note? Yeah, go. They're taking 40% of their shots as threes, actually 42%. That's only been done five times in the history of the league. Last year's Dallas Maverick teams and the four previous years, Houston Rockets teams. The thing that's right right now and our sample size is, is what it is. Last year, De- Dallas did it. They hit 37% of their shots as uh, of their threes and they shot 40%. It's the only team to ever shoot 37% while taking 40% of their shots as threes. The jazz are making 40% of their threes while taking 40% of their shots as threes. That's why they're tough to beat right now. Yeah. Look, it's, it's really helpful that guys like Jordan Clarkson just aren't missing and they're doing this while Boyan Bogdanovich really can't hit anything. And he was the guy that you would say, like, who's the best three-point shooter on the Jazz team? It'd probably be him, you know, high-volume three-point shooter. He's the guy that you rely upon there. But he has not been shooting particularly well this season as he's coming off that wrist problem that cost him uh, opportunity to play in the bubble. He has not been at his best, but the team is just bombing away. They are firing away. We, of course, had some controversy last week, David, with uh, the appearance of Donovan Mitchell on the post-game show with Shaq. I don't know if you've spoken to Donovan or heard about that, but how has how has he taken on that you know criticism? We saw how he reacted live in person. Is he is he pissed? Like how how has he responded to that? So I haven't talked to Donovan. I think we saw how he reacted, and so I think that tells you all about Donovan. Like he didn't seem like particularly bothered. He was he didn't love it, but he also like okay, whatever, fine, great, no problem, and. You know, I think if nothing else, his teammates seem far more bothered by it than he was because his teammates, I think, feel so strongly about him. Joe Ingles told a story on local radio about like there's not another. If he makes a mistake or two, we'll look at you and say, hey, why don't you take the next two? Obviously, what I'm doing is not working. Right. You know, like he's like the guys don't do that in this league. Donovan does that. Donovan's like the old great teammate. I'll never forget about Donovan in the midst of his rookie year when the when his world's just exploding, I mean, he is just becoming a supernova star at that point. And in one of his post games or either, or, or, you know, day after game press conferences, he goes out of his way to compliment the two, two way players that were on the bench that gave him the energy when he was tired. Like one was, I think might've been George Niang. And I don't remember who the other was, but that's who Donovan is. Donovan's the ultimate kind of team teammate guy. So I think Donovan was fairly unfazed by it, but I think his teammates have been more bothered by it in the sense that that's not how they think he should be portrayed. It was it was obviously frustrating to watch. I'm sure more so for Jazz fans to to watch that go down. But Donovan had been struggling to begin the season. But you know, at the time the criticism came, he is shooting over 50 percent from the field over the last two weeks. He's really ramped up his yeah, offensive responsibility and efficiency in that time, and he's been awesome, leading the Jazz here to a 12 and four record as they sit like half a game off the top spot in the Western Conference behind the Clippers and the Lakers. Now, normally, David, when I have you on around this time of the season, a month in, we've 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 spoken in the preseason. We say with well, the Jazz, look, they've got. To all these ingredients to be pushing towards the top and they invariably start slow. It's like, what are the, what's wrong with the Jazz? Is it a tough schedule? Is there something going wrong? Yeah, but they are doing the opposite of what they normally do as they come home hard normally, but they have started off on this hot streak. Is this 
the sort of inverse of that sort of thing that we've seen in the past? Is the schedule, have has that done them favors? Or is this just a team that is at another level from where they've been in, in previous seasons? Well, I think if you look at this team, they didn't make a lot of changes, right? They added Derek Favors, who'd been with the team for the eight of the f- previous nine seasons. December 24th last year, they added Jordan Clarkson, and they had ran- they ramped it up pretty good with Clarkson. From December 24th to the bubble, March 11th, before the bubble, they were the number one offense in the NBA. Um, and so I think they really were figuring each other out. So we're see- And then they go to the bubble without Boyan, but- and now they're putting it all together. And so I think you're seeing you know, a level of continuity that's preventing that slow start that maybe they've had in years past. And if you think about years past, you know, Ricky Rubio gets inserted in one year. Mike Conley gets inserted one year on a pretty intricate offense. You're changing your point guard or your, and Donovan Mitchell arrives one year um, and Gordon Hayward leaves one year. I mean, there really has been a lot of turnover in pretty key vital spots. So, This year, without any turnover, I think you're seeing the Jazz as they have often played in the second half of seasons, as you talk about, Josh, with that continuity. What's interesting that Quinn is referenced to me, Quinn Snyder, our head coach, he thinks the continuity is showing on the defensive end, not on the offensive end. He thinks that really they've changed how they're playing defensively or offensively, and I can get into that in a second, but he thinks it's happening predominantly on the defensive end is where you're seeing that continuity. You've probably got the numbers in front of you, but if you do, if you don't and you had to guess, are the Jazz ranked higher in offense or defense this year? The second ranked defense. Uh, I use cleaning the glass because it takes out blowout minutes. Okay. Um, taking out blowout minutes are the second ranked defensive team and the fourth ranked offensive team. They're the only team in the top five in both. In the NBA, they're one of four teams that are in the top ten in both. Interesting. I've, I've only got the basketball reference numbers in front of me, and they're offensively fifth and defensively sixth. That's not that far. Not that far off. And uh, the Jazz have had a lot of uh, garbage time minutes, especially over the last couple of weeks. So that's uh, that's super impressive. They have been a team, and I think it's it's going under the radar a little bit, David. Just how much they're beating teams by, and how comfortable all these wins are, and how consistent everything is that they're doing. And that's one of the big things about it, as you mentioned, is the consistency in in rotation and in production. Even in those games where Joe Ingles was out, you had Jordan Clarkson stepping up and playing more of that Ingles facilitating role off the bench, and just got guys who can do multiple different things. I think that's also a a, a key part of it. It's going to be exciting for Jazz fans to have this sort of a base now behind them. You have to be going at you know, 75% win ratio at this point of the season, and hopefully they can continue to build on it as they look to push for your know, home court advantage in the playoffs. David, you'll have it covered for us here on Locked On NBA, but also on Locked On Jazz, and they can hear you calling the Jazz games. Thanks for coming on Locked On NBA with me. Thanks. Let me give you one last note. Four teams in the league seem to be playing at a far higher level than anyone else. Percentage of minutes teams have led by 15 or more. So you're blowing people out, right? You're up by 15. You've hammered them. Clippers 27% of the time, Jazz 26% of the time, Lakers 25% of the team time, Bucks 24% of the time. The next is at 16%. So four teams in the league, Lakers, Clippers, Bucks, Jazz seem to be playing at a higher level than anyone else. And that's it for another episode of Locked On NBA. Don't forget to subscribe, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify. Leave that five-star review as well. Tell your friends, share it on social media. You can follow me on Twitter at RedRock underscore B-Ball as well. Guys, we are done here. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. See ya.